0: So through the years before every big life event, I'll write a letter to myself. Like the first day of undergrad, I wrote a letter and then I sealed it up and wrote, open this in 2014. So then when I graduated, I opened it and read it. And it's really interesting to see how much I change and how much my values shift. So I did that for grad school and every time I move. So I have quite a few letters so I recorded myself reading these letters and then had all of that recording cut into a vinyl record that was sent to me. The way that I decided to cast them was to just make a sand mold, which is just resin bonded sand in a two part mold. So I could do it in two days to make a mold. I just took a mold of the actual record and then cast that in bronze and then took that bronze record and took a mold off of that and cast that in bronze. And I just did that. Nine times until I had the series of the records slowly changing and kind of wearing away over time. It's a good exercise in casting, too, but I didn't want them to turn out all the way because that would defeat the purpose. The way that I made the mold, I knew that it wouldn't perfectly cast every time because I want it to slowly shift and change just like I shift and change as I get older and as I go through these different stages of my life.
1: Welcome to the Studio Rake Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 205th episode, Jan Lovell joins us to talk a bit about her sculpture and installation-based works that also explore processes and materials, including cast iron, human hair, a variety of performance, and various aspects. We'll talk all about that in our interview coming up shortly. Just a quick note that Jan's work was selected by Brian Frank for our 2018 student competition that we do annually. So we're very excited to feature her on Studio Break for the first time. If this is your very first time listening to Studio Break, I want to encourage you to check out some of the other episodes on StudioBreak.com. Again, we've got a big archive. As you can see, each of our episodes and posts have images of the artist's work, as well as links to their websites and these interviews, which you can listen to right there in the default player, or just click that iTunes hyperlink. And subscribe to the podcast and listen there. You can find us on Facebook, so please like our page there. You can of course find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements out of the way, here is our interview with Jam Lovell. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Jam Lovell. How are you doing?
0: I'm wonderful. How are you?
1: I'm excellent. We're both uh drinking our beverages, waking up and meeting the day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so again, just kind of uh fill us in a little bit. Where where are you uh talking with us from uh now? And then of course we'll break down all of your your background and kind of work forward to, you know, talking about the most current studio work from there.
0: So, I'm currently in Peoria, Illinois, Central Illinois, and um I just got here a few months ago, um, after getting my MFA in sculpture from Carbondale.
1: So, is that where you kind of grew up in the Central Illinois area?
0: Yeah, I'm from East Peoria, Illinois, originally, and then I kind of moved around for undergrad and grad school, and just came back.
1: Sure. And was art always something that you know was on the radar in terms of like, yeah, definitely want to work at a shop desk as opposed to working but in a cubicle desk.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't say it was always on the radar. Like, I grew up. Enjoying drawing and painting and things like most people, but I think um, my, my first goal was to be a mechanic. I wanted to fix cars for a living, and then um, somehow from there I got into art.
1: Yeah, that's a that's an easy transition. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, it's it's kind of like if you like taking things apart and maybe putting them back together. It's kind of kind of not all that dissimilar, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's what drove me to sculpture was I like working with tools. I like to build things and understand how they work and how these things put together, like the small parts that build the whole Mm -hmm. was interesting. So all of that's still kind of what I'm doing in sculpture, but it just didn't connect at the time.
1: Was that something that you had a lot of opportunities then too, in terms of like, you know, early schooling and stuff like that in terms of? You know, again, it's weird. I'll talk to people that, you know, have full ceramics programs and stuff like that in high school. And I couldn't tell you if we had a ceramics wheel or <laughs> uh-huh. anything like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. In high school, we didn't have – well, I thought we had a lot of options until I got to undergrad and met other people that had, like, full shops mm-hmm. and stuff. We just had uh drawing and painting class. And then I guess we had a ceramics class that I also didn't know we mm-hmm. had So I never took that, but I did the drawing and painting classes, but it was just because it was something I enjoyed and I didn't want to do the other elective options, like extra history classes and things like that. Mm
1: -hmm. Was the idea of kind of pursuing art then, you know, something that you were kind of like, oh, I'll be a graphic designer or, you know, again, I probably have confessed this before, but it'll be new to somebody. But, you know, like I was at the time, like industrial light and magic. I want to work for George Lucas and make Star Wars movies or something.
0: Oh, (laughs) right. Yeah, no, not at all. I didn't think, you know, because we're in a culture where, you know, if you're going to be an artist, you're going to be a starving artist and there's no opportunities or options unless you know somebody. So though I enjoyed making art, I didn't think at all it would ever be something I could take seriously and do for a living or study in uh, college. Mm -hmm. But then I graduated and, um, I did my first year at Western Illinois University in Macomb and was going to be a communication major because it was nice and vague. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 18. So I thought communication is a good option because I can do anything with that. But then you have to pick what type of communication you want to do. And I didn't know what that meant. So then I decided, okay, psychology, I'll do that. But then I decided I don't want to go to school for eight years. But here I am finishing up eight years of school. (laughs) (laughs) So um, then I took an art history class and learned a little bit more about, well, of course, the history of art, but also more things that you can do with a degree in art or just a career path in art. It wasn't just making art, but you could also work for people as a studio assistant or you could teach, which was something intriguing to me. Uh, But there was more to it than just trying to become a famous artist. and I didn't know that at the time. Mm
1: famous artist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so did you wind up then kind of moving on from there? Um, Because I know that at some point you also, you know, earned a a degree at Illinois State University.
0: Mm -hmm. So then uh, I was miserable in Macomb just because there was nothing to do. And, you know, you need something to do outside of your studies, like hiking or hanging out with people or doing anything but going to Walmart. (laughs) So... I transferred to Illinois State University and applied for the um, visual arts program. And I thought, you know, if I get in, I'll just do my best to try to um, do a good job and figure out what I'm going to do with it and see where it goes. So I got accepted and I still didn't know what I wanted to make. But I took a painting class with Mike Willey and it was painting two, which is when you start doing Representational painting and talking about what you're making and why Um, and I really liked the conversations that were happening in the class. So although I don't think I ever really wanted to be a painter, I was getting more out of the classes with Mike Willie than I was anywhere else because though we're learning how to use the material and develop our skills, we're also learning how to talk about what we're making, why we're making it, why is it valuable, why should anybody care about what you're making, and really analyzing every aspect of the painting and the painting process. So I decided to pursue a degree in painting so that I could continue to have those conversations while I kind of find my footing in what kind of art I wanted to make. And um, originally, I wanted to be in art therapy. So I got a minor in psychology. But then my very last semester i think it was like 2 weeks before i graduated i decided oh, i'm not going to do art therapy anymore <laughs> i'm just going to have this minor for no reason just for extra fun information and then i tried to apply for an mfa program it was winter break and mike willie called me cuz he was going to write one of my letters of recommendation and he said i'm going to ask you a question and i want you to be honest are you ready for an mfa and i said no I'm not at all, but I don't know what else to do. I'm graduating, and I'm getting this bachelor's in painting, and I'm not sure what to do with it, so I feel like I need more time to kind of figure it out. So I thought an MFA was my only option, but he told me about the one-year master's program at Eastern Illinois University, so I applied for that instead, and that was probably the best move I've ever made.
1: I guess the universe has a way of kind of like figuring it out for you as long as you're kind of committed, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know,
1: and again, this will be where I start talking about crystals. We're selling crystals <laughs> now in Studio Break. I love, you know, hearing these stories of how things kind of shift. You know, you make a plan and then, you know, it kind of goes in this other direction. But one of the things uh, that was really interesting with what you were saying is that for me, I remember being in jewelry and having no idea what was going on in painting. But for some reason, having to work in a sketchbook and plan everything out. Um, mm-hmm. And think about the materials and all those kinds of things really helped reinforce my 2D work. And so it's interesting, you know, as you're kind of describing that story briefly about being in painting too, I'm like, oh, it's like the opposite for somebody that works in 3D, maybe. I don't know. Uh huh. <laughs> so, so again, it's interesting to think about how, you know, you initially set out on a path and then you wind up, you know, going off in this other direction. So you, uh, you did this one year at MA program at Eastern what was that like was it kind of more open ended in terms of materials and things like that i'm curious how you you know transitioned then into you know more of the materials that you're working with now and the approaches that you're working with now
0: so people were telling me that the one year MA was Basically a boot camp for an MFA, Mm -hmm. which I uh, after finishing it, I definitely say that's true. So you basically have nine months to complete an entire body of work and you'll have your thesis show with all the other grads. And when I was there, there were nine of us. In the program. So when I was an undergrad, I was making these poured paintings because my uncle has his own painting business. And I would go to his house and he would open the garage and say, take whatever you want, because I have no use for it. And I have tons of paint. So I would just get these free gallons of latex paint. And the only thing I could think to do with them was to just rip off Linda Benglis and do poured paintings Mm -hmm. So um, then when I got to Eastern, I started trying to make the paintings more sculptural and to be, instead of flat on panels, I wanted them to exist in my world as well. So I started trying to make these substructures out of fabric or other found materials and then pour paint onto those to make the paintings now um, a little more figural Mm -hmm. or just referencing the figure in some way or another. So then I was like, okay, I'm kind of breaking away from painting and getting into the world of sculpture. And um, at the time, I thought there was a very clear line between painting and sculpture. And now I'm not so sure that's really true or that it even matters. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn more um, sculptural materials. So at the time, um, I was in the program with Danny Rohr who's now my fiance, and we're starting a business together. But he taught me how to MIG weld. And he was saying, you know, if you're making these structures, maybe you could learn how to weld so that you could weld stronger substructures, put your fabric or whatever on, and then pour your paint on that. So he taught me how to MIG weld, and I loved it. And Matt Boonstra runs the sculpture program over there, and he taught me how to use oxyacetylene so that I could bend the metal that I was working with and have even more control. And um, it was really open. Like, I didn't have full access to the sculpture studio because I was new to all the equipment, which is understandable, but I did have 24 hour access to my um, personal studio, which was really nice there. It was like a big room, and you get windows and the door locks if you want it (laughs) to, but you're in there with other grads, so everybody's always in there listening to music and hanging out. It was super wonderful. (laughs) Sure, sure. So whenever I started learning how to weld, I was seeing how, you know, I can make art and work with all of those tools and machines that I was working with. Well, they're different, but, you know, in a similar way to when I wanted to be a mechanic and I was working on cars. So um, sculpture opened the door of really satisfying everything that I wanted to do where I can talk about concept and research and things that I'm investigating, but I can still make art and make things that are pretty or actually at the time those things were really ugly, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: kind of (laughs) weird and grotesque, but I wanted them that way. But I could also still weld. So there was still um, hard work and labor that was put into it. So that's really how I got into sculptures, doing that one year master's and realizing that there's more I can do than just Painting
1: on panels well again it's interesting to think about you know then you've kind of got this whole new world to kind of start exploring and again you kind of talked about you know some earlier influences in terms of those poured paintings with uh, linda banglis i believe you said Mm -hmm. Um, were there any other kind of artists or you know things that were kind of you know turning direction in the studio exposure to like oh my gosh like i can do this so i can have fun with all these tools
0: so i watched this women art revolution video and that one year masters and I learned about Carolee Schneeman Mm -hmm. and I saw um, some of her performance work and thinking about like I knew about performance art but you know now that I'm in grad school and I'm taking my art career a little more seriously I'm paying more attention (laughs) to Mm -hmm. what's going on in the art world and throughout art history so I saw Carolee Schneeman in the video and what she's doing with the body and how she's like tracking her body's movements with materials. And I thought that was a really interesting way to talk about how the material is moving. So that was something that I started exploring conceptually with the poured paintings becoming sculptures in uh, that one year master. So I was dealing with really chronic insomnia and I didn't know that that was a thing at the time I just thought everyone was tired because (laughs) everyone's always saying they're tired but I was only sleeping like one to three hours a night so then I started becoming really depressed because of not sleeping and I was trying to figure out a way that I can still get through this one-year master's really quickly but try to still take care of myself so I started thinking about the work as being cathartic and trying to take whatever I'm dealing with internally and putting it out into the sculptures. So the sculptures were an exploration of understanding my insomnia and my depression while also trying to put them out into the world to talk about something that I didn't know I was really dealing with. So really all of that work in that one-year master's was mostly just about my personal issues with insomnia and depression.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds again like a the antidote then to... Be able to start a MFA program where you are like, oh, I totally have this clearer vision. I wouldn't say clear, clear, right? Because when they get you there, mm-hmm. they'll just be like, oh, you got to make something totally different. This is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, did you wind up going and uh, finishing that, moving to uh, Carbondale because of Quattro's, or
0: <laughs> it was definitely Quattro's that got me
1: there? <laughs> was there anything in particular that led you uh, south towards, uh, you know, the Carbondale area and all these forests?
0: Yes. Um, Well, first off, I love hiking, so that was one thing that made me consider Carbondale. But since I was doing welding and starting to do metal fabrication, I also did a lot of woodworking in undergrad that I kind of put on hold during that one-year master's, but I wanted to get back into. Mm -hmm. So um, wood and metal were like my two primary mediums at the time. And uh, Chris Kaler, who was chair of my committee um, at Eastern, said, if you want to continue doing this metal work, you need to consider going to SIU in Carbondale in his exact words where there's this badass metalworking lady there. Mm. And he said, you need to meet her. Her name's Christy Summers. So I looked up on the website, Christy Summers, and her information was still there. So Danny and I decided to apply to Carbondale together. He's a sculptor, too. So we both got into the sculpture department. But when we went for the interview, we met Alex Lopez. And we briefly met Jerry Monteith, who's the head of the sculpture department. And then um, Jerry took us out to the foundry where we met Carrie Netherton, who's the supervisor of the foundry. Mm -hmm. And I um, didn't realize that Carrie now was running the foundry and not Christy. But I had already applied and we got accepted and the foundry facilities were wonderful. So um, we went anyway. And side note, because we got accepted together, we got a dog. (laughs) (laughs) So that's necessary. So yeah, I I still went to Carbondale and still was really excited about it. But now since I was doing metal fabrication and I saw the foundry, it was really a great setup for metal casting, which is something that I had only done on a small scale at Illinois State when I took the jewelry class and the, it was like advanced 3D foundations where it was wood and jewelry and one class or something, but I wanted to do it on a large scale. So that was something I was really interested in doing.
1: Well, and it's interesting because we were talking earlier about, you know, what kind of programs people have in high schools. Again, the facilities down there for 3D are pretty ridiculous in terms of all the various things that you can delve into.
0: Oh, definitely. I know that
1: people drive from different states for their iron pores, just because it, at the time, I believe, and maybe still is, like one of the largest iron pores that they have in the country.
0: Yeah, it used to be. We used to have a larger furnace, and Tom Walsh was running the program um, a long time ago, I think, but it was before my time, and it was before Christy was there, too, I think. So there's Tom Walsh, and then Christy, and then Carrie Netherton now. But when Tom was there, there was people coming from all over the United States, and they would make molds for weeks, and it would take up, like, the entire parking lot. Mm -hmm. And we still have people coming in. Like, we have people that would come up from St. Louis and people coming down from Chicago. We still had iron pours. They just weren't as big or as often. But part of that is just we um, lost that larger furnace to have the ability to do the big pours. But while I was there, I was we didn't get to pour as often as I wanted to. So um, I was the foundry tech for the last two years. So and Danny was the last year. So the both of us fixed the smaller cupola that was there so that we could do iron pours more often with whoever wanted to do them.
1: Well, so I was alluding to this earlier, but I would imagine then when you get to your new program, you got your studio set up and you know, you start meeting with professors, they're kind of throwing things at you, curveballs to (laughs) try and hit, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, Was there anything initially that you kind of, you know, set out to kind of do, or, you know, you kind of had something in mind and then, you know, kind of changed direction? Again, it's really interesting to think about how, you know, three years seems like it's too long, but then when, after you complete it, you're like, oh, that was perfect.
0: Yeah. So I grew up playing in bands. I would write music and lyrics, and I played guitar, so I would write riffs for songs, and I really liked writing. So when I was at that one-year master's, I started writing again, and I would write every day, and if I saw something that was I was clearly hung up on or I couldn't get past, then I would write a poem about that. So all of the titles for my work in that one-year master's were acronyms that were a line from the poem I was insecure in my writing because I thought since I wasn't trained as a writer and or something that people wouldn't see me as a writer and my writing is no good or something. So I didn't want to share it. But then when I got to Carbondale, I was still writing and decided, you know, um, I don't need a degree to say that I'm a writer. Maybe I'm not like a published writer, but writing can definitely be a huge part of my process of making. So I started incorporating the writing a little more clearly and letting it guide what I make so that the sculptures that I was making became a visual representation of the poetry that I was writing. So if I felt like I wasn't relieved of something in the poetry, then it was time to investigate it further by making a sculpture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I started out doing in Carbondale. At first, I was trying to kind of do the poured sculptures, but then realized, like, I don't like them anymore, and I don't feel the need to investigate this idea anymore. I feel like I want to open this up to talk about other people, and that's how I started getting more into the relationships. But um, Alex, who ended up being the chair of my committee, was very helpful in guiding me to think conceptually about what I'm making. So I wanted to make objects that of course looked good also, but I wanted them to mean something or to be interesting to people so that they would stop and look. So at first I was the first things I made when I was there was um, I was working with human hair Mm -hmm. and it grossed a lot of people out understandably. And I shaved my head because my hair was really, really long and I needed a lot of it. So I just shaved my head bald. So I had plenty of hair and um, my now fiance Danny shaved his head with me so I made a sculpture about us um, how we support each other and how we're in this program together and it's challenging but at the same time we're encouraging each other and challenging each other and pushing each other so that we're both growing so um, I made these two vessels that were kind of like flower pots but I made them out of wood and I turned them on the lathe so that they were just these like organic shapes. And then I put my hair in one, which at the time was green. I dyed it green coincidentally and put it in there like a plant. And then I put Danny's hair in the other one and they were at the same level so that it was like showing that we're supporting each other and growing together. And that was a piece that went over really well with all three of the sculpture faculty because Jerry's a woodworker. So he always likes to see when you're working with wood and when you're doing things well-crafted and Carrie is really supportive of anything that you're doing is a little bit more on the conceptual side but has interesting things to say about shapes and forms too and Alex was really on the same level of what I was trying to do where I'm trying to make things that are interesting but also have a nice concept or message
1: Mm -hmm. and again just a reminder that people can go to JamLevel.com again I think the piece that you're talking about is entitled, We Both Grow, so... Yeah. And again, I think it totally makes sense in terms of that you know message that you're talking about, especially kind of being able to kind of go back to, you know, explore some of these materials that maybe you had kind of put on hold, but then to kind of figure out how you were going to, you know, transition it, you know, kind of maybe moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm struck by a couple other pieces, but another one is this um, piece, This Is Not My Grief, Which mm -hmm. again looks like it came a little bit afterwards. I noticed too like they start to kind of you know combine a number of these different you know elements where you've got you know woodworking in this but maybe you could talk a little bit about this piece and you know help us through that process a little bit.
0: Sure so This Is Not My Grief started when I was writing about my relationship with a person that I've known for a very long time and The relationship has always been frustrating and confusing and just difficult to me, especially when I was younger. But when I get older and I'm meeting more people, especially I was lucky in grad school to be there with a lot of really wonderful people who are also in different programs. So we really worked hard to build a community who are now all, most of them are my lifelong friends, I'm sure. Um, So I realized that family isn't just people that you're related to. Like relatives are just people, but there's much more to family than just sharing bloodline. So I was really thinking about how am I going to feel when this person passes away? Um, Am I going to feel sad? Am I going to feel terrible grief? Am I going to feel relieved? Uh, Am I going to feel a lot of regret? It was just something that um, I was really hung up on at the time. And I was thinking about other people in my life who We used to be close or maybe we're even related, but now we've drifted apart or they weren't they were a toxic person and they weren't serving me in the way like we weren't reciprocating a healthy relationship. So I was thinking about growing away from toxic relationships. So um, the title, This Is Not My Grief, came from a lot of writing. And I wrote a poem about when this person passes away, I think that it's going to feel the same way as when a stranger passes. And that came about when I was walking to my studio in the rain one day, and I was on my way to meet my partner for lunch. Funeral drove by, and there was just one car. And I was thinking, like, usually there's so many cars, but there's just that one. And isn't it sad that this could be a person driving to bury their only last loved one, and I'm on my way to have lunch with my loved one that I maybe take for granted sometimes. Um, and it really like hit me. And I thought maybe the way I feel about that stranger passing to be buried while they were driving by on the road, maybe is a similar way that I'm going to feel when this person passes away. Um, and I realized that it wouldn't be my grief to have, it would just feel like a stranger. So I made the coffin, which actually fits my body, even though I don't intend to be buried when my time comes. (laughs) It's just for the sake of art. I built this coffin, and it has a bunch of lead roses inside of it that I made from... I got sheets of lead and just cut the petals and formed the roses. And then all of those roses are supposed to represent different relationships and different people throughout my life. And then the cast iron door is there trying to contain the lead because historically iron was believed and i think still to some people is believed to contain or repel spirits so that's why a lot of cemeteries are surrounded by iron or steel bars it's supposed to contain the spirits that are in the cemetery so um, the iron door is supposed to be containing the lead roses to the best of its ability, but there's still a hole because it's not that easy to cut off difficult relationships, especially ones that you've had for a long time. So the relationships still have, they're trying to still fight to exist in your world while the iron is trying to contain them.
1: Very interesting. Again, there's so (laughs) many things to kind of think about, but especially kind of all the layers, you know, in terms of the materials. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of does a really good job of kind of being able to you know, deal with that subject matter. Again, we kind of got clued in a little bit in terms of this process, in terms of how you're, you know, combining all these ideas and then trying to, you know, present them in a way that isn't so heavy handed where it has this kind of openness too. Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: because again, you think of lead being heavy and, you know, somebody else might see this in a slightly different context, but I think a lot of those things, you know, still ring true. Mm hmm. So again, it's very interesting to think about. I believe there's another piece near around that time where you're also using audio in terms of this piece. I believe it's entitled uh, "Continuing," Continue Building That Safe Space. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you can kind of break that down because as I'm talking, I feel really awkward. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. There's a lot of layers to that piece, too, because um, my material choices are always very important to the concept of the piece and the message of trying to convey or explore So continue building the safe space started with uh, I was collecting materials from people that I cared about. So I I have the list somewhere, which um, one of my friends once told me the list itself is kind of poetic, which I thought was a really nice compliment. But it's something like a pair of pants from my closest cousin and empty cigarette boxes from my partner and receipts from pictures I printed from a road trip dryer lint from my mom and a shirt from my sister and just all these materials that are organic materials I collected from people that I care about or maybe a a gathering of friends that Mm -hmm. happened and there's something left over that I could keep. So all of them are organic materials so that I could break them down to turn them into paper. Mm -hmm. So that's why the paper is like this bluish purple color because I didn't bleach it. So it's just all of those things broken down into now a material that I can write on. So I made individual frames for all of the paper. And then for about six months, I recorded interactions with friends and family and people that I care about. So like we had a Friendsgiving, and I had a tape recorder, and I recorded the entire Friendsgiving and then I would have coffee with someone and ask if it was okay if I recorded whatever we talked about just for the sake of like it wouldn't actually be heard but it would be recorded in another way that I'll get to in a bit. So I recorded all of it on cassette tapes because I wanted to later try to knit with the cassette tape but instead I took the recordings and I built a small machine and um, bought a subwoofer and I put my best friend gave me a lucky bamboo plant when I graduated from undergrad. So I took a leaf off of that bamboo plant and I taped it to the subwoofer. And then the way the machine worked is it was it was kind of like a slow conveyor belt. All of the paper was dusted with ash that came from bonfires at our house when we had people over, and mm-hmm. I dusted all the paper with that, and then I played the recordings over the six-month period through the subwoofer while the bamboo recorded the vibrations in that ash onto the paper. Then I put all of those papers in the frames and built this wall that can be moved, and it's supposed to look like it's being it's in process of continuing to be built, because uh, each panel represents a different interaction with people or um, a party that we had or an art opening for a show that we were having or something. So each panel is all of these little situations that help to build the community that I cared about in Carbondale very much and um, to build my own community in my own life. So continuing to build the safe space is just about continuing to give to and to contribute to your community that gives back to you because this reciprocation is what makes us strong.
1: Well, again, it's so interesting to think about how process has, you know, really driven your work and kind of exploring these new materials and, you know, figuring out a way for them to kind of all come together. Does that take a long time sometimes in terms of like, you know, you start something and then you're not really sure how it's going to, you know, when you start recording conversations, sometimes you're like, yes, and then you know eventually six months later you're like i have no idea what i'm doing with this stuff
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a lot of things that i started that i never finished but i feel like every artist can relate to sure, that
1: sure sure
0: that piece in particular i started with the paper making and it took me a long time i had the paper made And I was having um, studio visits with people and critiques of people, and people kept saying, the paper reminds me of bandages. And I keep thinking that it looks like a used bandage or a bandage that's going to go on somebody that was handmade. And I thought that bandage idea was kind of interesting, and I didn't really know where to go with it. And then I had a studio visit with a writer who told me that he liked the idea of all of the things that went into being the paper. So all this information, instead of being written on the paper, it is the paper. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was nice. But I didn't think paper itself could exist as the art object. So I wanted to see where I could go with it. I started recording the voices because I wanted to knit something. because I do a lot of knitting and crocheting in my work as well. And I wanted to knit something with that cassette tape. But instead, I thought I would rather use this in a way that I don't have to destroy the tapes. Like I want them to still be preserved somehow, but I want to preserve the sounds and I don't really know how, but somehow I eventually got to recording them in the ash like
1: that. Sure. Sure. Well, and I'm curious then too, cause you've talked a little bit about performative kind of pieces and I could be totally misreading this, but there's also another piece from that kind of 2017 entitled uh, rock bottom never quite provides the clearest view where it looks Mm -hmm. like maybe you've almost like dug yourself into a hole. Um, Yeah. Am I totally off base in there or do I I feel like a painter that's getting it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great. I went to a residency called art farm in Nebraska And it was literally in the middle of nowhere, but it was a really wonderful experience because I was there with a few other artists. There was a painter there and somebody who did drawings and collage with embroidery that was really wonderful. There were a lot of writers, which was great for me because I could get feedback from a professional writer on my poetry. So that helped. Um, And we did these writing prompts every week that helped really build my writing, which helped my sculptures. But I went in the middle of July, which is a bad time to dig a hole by hand. (laughs) So it's also um, a place where there's no air conditioning. There were some fans, but they didn't really work that well. So I could only dig the hole at dusk and dawn. But I decided I wanted to dig this hole by hand. That was the dimensions of if I'm sitting down and I reach my arms straight up or um, also my wingspan is the width. So I fabricated this nest. And I um wove the outside of the nest with all of the seams from that paper I made previously. um you can't put seams into paper because it just damages the machine. So I had all these seams that I knew what I was going to do with that I had collected for like two years. so um I took all of those and wove them around the welded substructure of the nest, and then I had some hair that people had given to me for when I was working with hair, and I put that into the nest too. So, the nest was basically um all these people who had supported me, but I couldn't quite use all of their stuff, so now I'm trying to find a way to continue to support them in my work metaphorically, so they're supporting me by providing me with this nest. So I dug this hole and then I put the nest in the hole and then, while I was at the farm, originally, I was just gonna sit in the hole and see what happens and see like how I feel and just write while I'm in the hole or just sit there for a couple of hours and see like how I feel. And I did that. But then while I was digging the hole, everyone at the farm kept saying, Oh, man, I can't wait to sit in the nest. I can't wait to uh, be a part of your work. And I was like, Oh, uh, okay, well, if you want to, sure. So I opened it up for 24 hours, anybody who wanted to, could go sit in the nest, but they had to go one at a time and respect people who were in there so that if somebody was in the nest, they couldn't come up and, hey, when are you going to get out, you know? So um, one person at a time, and I encouraged them to write about their experience and give it to me just to have for my own record. So I did that for 24 hours, and then at the end of it, we all tried to fit as many of us as we could in the nest at one time. But then I decided I wanted to bury it because I want this to be an experience for myself and for the people who are at the residency with me right now. And it's not that I'm trying to exclude everyone else from it, but it felt like it was something very... Intimate with all of us there. So then I buried the nest, and though I dug the hole by myself, a bunch of people came and helped me bury the nest because it was a lot of dirt and it had rained the night before too, so it was really hard. Mm -hmm. So everyone helped me to basically, in a metaphorical way, lay to rest something that when I was in the nest, it was really peaceful and quiet, but I was thinking, you know, I'm below the ground and I am below everyone else. And this is kind of how it feels when you're in a depressed rut, but this isn't how life really is. So this isn't the view that I need to have. So I need to bury this rock bottom perception and try to move on from there. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the idea with rock bottom never quite provides the clearest view.
1: Well, and it's interesting to think about that progression, you know, because not too long ago, again, we were talking about breaking away from kind of like I don't want to say being stuck as a painter, but you know what I mean? Kind of being in a being in a medium that maybe wasn't able to kind of resonate with all these relationships and processes. Mm-hmm. So how did this all kind of come together in terms of a thesis exhibition?
0: My show, it was kind of hard to narrow down what works I wanted to have in there because I was only getting half of the gallery when I wanted the whole gallery. But it worked out that I was showing with my fiancé because he had the one half and I had the other, but some of the work that I – had in the show was about him. So far, I think I've mostly talked about these negative relationships and things that were toxic or not serving me or not healthy for me and the other person. But my thesis show is a mix of both. It was more just relationships that I wanted to celebrate and kind of be like an homage to the person. And other ones included like the coffin where it's something that is not good and not healthy. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to grow away from so I have this one piece that was about my fiance, Danny. I um, took a rubber mold of the space between both of our hands. I just was thinking about the longer that we've been together, the closer that we get physically and mentally, I suppose. But like the first time that um, we held hands, it's like really awkward and you don't know like whose fingers go where and Mm -hmm. what. You know What's the orientation? It's something that's weird that you don't think about anymore once you've been together for a long time. So I wanted to um, get this mold of the space between our hands right now and see where it could be in another couple of years and see if there's even more negative spaces that didn't quite cast. So I got a rubber mold and I took a sand mold and then I cast it in bronze because bronze is something that is hard and is still malleable though. So it's still subject to change. Whereas iron is something... That I originally wanted to cast it in because it's going to represent where we are right now and it's never going to change. But I like to think that our relationship is going to grow and progress and change throughout the years. And Bronze has that ability to convey that idea to me. That's an example of a more uplifting piece (laughs) (laughs) that I had in the thesis show.
1: Well, and again, there's another one that's kind of like this installation piece with all these letters. Uh-huh. Is that something that would be <laughs> described as the positive too or Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um that piece also kind of came from the art farm. So I was there for a month and I um I'm a big fan of writing letters. I have a few pen pals and every so often I'll just mail a letter or a postcard to a friend. While I was at the farm, I asked if anyone wanted to be my pen pal while I was there and write to me. So all of the letters in that piece at the top are the letters from the people who had written to me on the farm. Those represent the people in our relationship in one way. And then the plumb bobs at the bottom are supposed to represent each individual person and my perception of our relationship and um, where it is right now. And then the line from the top to the bottom, the plumb line is supposed to represent my actual relationship with them. So while I am there at the farm and there where they are, the line is kind of the connecting factor from them to me.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, again, it's just so fascinating to think about all these different explorations of process and relationship. And again, that includes relationships with oneself. Again, you've talked a lot about writing. And one of the other pieces that I really thought was interesting was this courting of like your letters that you've written to yourself and then Mm -hmm. making a cast from that could you kind of describe that a little bit again how do you press a record
0: (laughs) oh yeah um so (laughs) it took me like a year to figure out the best way to make that piece with the casting of the records because um some people would tell me to do oh do a plaster mold and do it in wax and then you can do it this way and get more detail and then some people would say oh just you know burn out the record and like just a lot of different methods. Because the thing about foundry work is everyone's going to tell you 50 different ways to do the same thing. And everybody is right. (laughs) And that's what's frustrating. So I just had to figure out the way I wanted to do it. What I did is I recorded myself reading letters that I had written to myself. So through the years before every big life event, I'll write a letter to myself, like the first day of undergrad, I wrote a letter. And then I Sealed it up and wrote open this in 2014. So then when I graduated, I opened it and read it. And it's really interesting to see how much I change and how much my values shift. So I did that for grad school and every time I move. So I have quite a few letters. So I recorded myself reading these letters and then had all of that recording cut into a vinyl record that was sent to me. The way that I decided to cast them was to just make a sand mold, which is just resin bonded sand in a two part mold. So I can do it in two days to make a mold. I just took a mold of the actual record and then cast that in bronze and then took that bronze record and took a mold off of that and cast that in bronze. And I just did that nine times until I had the series of the records slowly changing and kind of wearing away over time. It's a good exercise in casting too, but I didn't want them to turn out all the way because that would defeat the purpose. The way that I made the mold, I knew that it wouldn't perfectly cast every time because I want it to slowly shift and change just like I shift and change as I get older and as I go through these different stages of my life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's really interesting to see that kind of, you know, degradation and, you know, slow change. It works as a nice metaphor. And then also just aesthetically, they're kind of these weird, interesting pieces that, you know, seem to get more fragmented and smaller as they kind of go down that, you know, kind of line. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, another piece that I really want to talk about, which seems again, kind of maybe positive in terms of, you know, thinking about family is this uh, family isn't fleeting piece where Mm -hmm. it looks like you've kind of used various uh, scarf and hats from the family. So maybe talk a little about that piece and what's going on there.
0: Yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces (laughs) that I've ever made. The idea with the pumpkin is that um, my Aunt Kathy, who passed away when I was young, her nickname was Pumpkin. So uh, whenever we see pumpkin things in my family, we'll get pumpkin stuff for each other. Or like my cousin who, it was her mom who passed away. She's my closest family member. And um, I'll get her pumpkin stuff all the time. Or like when we have the glass pumpkin sale in October, I'll usually get her one or something like that. So the pumpkins, I thought were a good representation of my family. But like I said before, people who you're related to aren't always your family. And sometimes people who you're not related to can be your family. In my point of view, the installation is a bunch of pumpkins, big and small, depending on my relationship with you and how significant it is, I suppose. So not that some people aren't as important as others. It's just some people are like my sister, who I'm obviously very close with and have known literally my entire life because she's older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one of the larger pumpkins, um, where people who've been my friend for a couple of years, were really close, but they might be a smaller pumpkin. So I cast all of these pumpkins because iron is something that isn't going to shift and change. It's resilient. It can withstand extreme heat or extreme cold. It's something that will continue to exist for many, many years and maybe multiple lifetimes. So that's why I wanted to cast them in iron to grant them this permanence because pumpkins will, of course, rot after just a couple of months. So all of the knit pieces are hats and scarves that I knit for the people and I um, knit them by hand and gave them out and asked for them to wear them around for a winter and then to give them back to me in May so I could use them to represent each of them. So the knitting, it's, they did wear them and they did use them, but it's also me trying to provide comfort and safety to all of these people that I care about. So after my thesis show, that piece also got shown in Cleveland at the Waterloo Arts Festival, which was a really cool experience. I drove out to Cleveland to drop it off because it's cheaper than shipping it. And it was just fun to go to Cleveland. Sure. So that was really fun to get to show it somewhere else as well in a different environment. But now I've given all of the hats and scarves back to everybody. So I can't ever really show the piece again unless... I borrow all of the hats and scarves again. Right. It's also just kind of interesting to me to explore doing something that can only be shown one or two times, and then that's it for the piece.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting to kind of involve all these people that are, you know, intricate to your life and, you know, to kind of further that exploration of like relationships, which, you know, again, seems to kind of fuel you know, what you're interested in making. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, where are you at now in terms of kind of like having kind of moved past all this experience?
0: Now I'm back in Peoria because I was telling you earlier that art really seems to matter here and people are really excited about what other people are doing. And I've noticed that there's a lot of opportunities that are unique here for the community. So people can take painting classes and drawing classes and even classes with glass blowing and glass casting, but there's nothing yet with sculpture and foundry work. So I started my own business called Black Dog Metal Arts with my fiance. And we're working right now on opening a foundry in Peoria so that we can offer casting opportunities to the community and offer um, classes and workshops, but also take commission work too.
1: Very interesting. Again, we were talking about that, you know, navigating the art world post uh, graduate. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to kind of think about all the possibilities out there, you know, and it's something that seems kind of, pervasive is you know people talking about not having to live in you know new york or la or some mega art world to kind of like be able to kind of make it but obviously you know being being there allows you to kind of be able to you know, hopefully, set up a shop and and to be able to afford it, and not have to, you know, get, <laughs> sell a kidney on the black market or something. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely, and that it all started because of my frustration during grad school. My last semester, I had applied for forty two jobs, which is so many, and I didn't get. Any of them, well, I ended up getting one because I'm teaching at Illinois Central College now. You know, no matter how good of a job you're doing in grad school and all of these things that you do in your time there that you think are great resume boosters and are setting you apart, it doesn't really matter unless you know the right people. And I thought, you know, if I can't get a job teaching, I'm just going to make my own job. So I just started my own business and hopefully it'll really take off in the next couple of years. But so far, we're doing great. So can't complain.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a number of shows that you've been applying for. Is there anything in particular that's exciting coming up?
0: So I'm on the steering committee for the National Conference on Contemporary Cast Iron Art and Practices, which is in Birmingham, Alabama, every other year. So this year, well, I guess in 2019, it's April 3rd through the 6th. It's a big cast iron Conference, which is really exciting because it's fun to get everybody together and to do a lot of iron pours all week long and to see these panel discussions. And being on the steering committee, I will be showing some work there. And um, I'm on the steering committee with a man named Dave Lobdell, who invited us to show in um, Las Vegas, New Mexico at the new Mexico Highlands University for a show called Iron Tribe 2019. So I'm going to be shipping some new work that I've been working on out to show there. I think it'll be in February.
1: And again, is there a place that people should definitely go to check out work? I'm sure that you're lighting up social media as well. So if you want to remind everybody.
0: Well, my website is uh, jamlevel.com. And then I also have Instagram, which my, I don't know what it's called, your tag or your handle <laughs> or whatever. Mine is uh, jam level art. And also my uh, company website is blackdogmetalarts.com. And we also have Instagram that's just blackdogmetalart.
1: Awesome. Well, again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me about, you know, everything in your studio. And of course, that trajectory, again, it's really interesting to kind of, you know, think about point A to point B, but I know that's always changing as well. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, again, thanks so much for taking the time today to talk to me.
0: Oh, thank you for the opportunity. It was really fun.
1: Thanks once again to Jam for joining me. Be sure to check out her website, jamlevel.com, and of course, follow her on Instagram at jamlevelart. You can also check out her new business with Danny Rohrer, blackdogmetalarts.com, and of course on Instagram at blackdogmetalarts. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure and check out the others on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artwork, as well as links to the artists' websites. You can listen to our interviews right there on Studio Break, or just click that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. You can always do us a big favor by leaving us a review there or helping to spread the word and earn some karma points via social media, so we'd really appreciate that especially. After all, Studio Break does aim to be a nice studio companion to those slaving away in their studios, and the universe will find a way to pay you back. Be sure to like our Facebook page. You can also find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. I do want to thank Skylar Mail. He provides music to Studio Break, and you can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, please visit davidlinaway.com. I currently have a big December sale with free domestic shipping on a number of different bodies of work. So check it out at davidlinaway.com. And of course, you can find me on Facebook or just say hello on Twitter or Instagram at David As always, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Be sure to reach out and say hello. We'll talk to you real soon.